0: you have your Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Tonight we continue in a sermon series on the life of David, a man after God's own heart. 1 Samuel 18, we're going to read verses 1 through 4 in just a moment. I want you to understand that in the Old Testament, every great truth, every great doctrine, Every great theology is planted, it's cultured, it's watered, it's weeded, it's nurtured, and it comes to fruition in the New Testament. There's nothing new in the New Testament that wasn't in the Old Testament and introduced. It just comes to fruition, it comes to completion, it comes to perfection. And our ability to understand it. And tonight in the message David and Mephibosheth. If you will listen carefully. You're going to see that again. First Samuel 18. The first four verses. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul. That the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved David as his own soul. This was a friendship that was now coming to pass between Saul's son, Jonathan, and David. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house, speaking of David. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Verse 3, Jonathan and David made a what? A covenant. Do you know what a covenant is? David and Jonathan, two good friends, made a covenant with each other. They made this covenant out of great respect and love for one another. And what they agreed to do is interesting. They agreed to bestow grace and mercy and kindness on each other until death do they part. And when one dies this grace and this mercy and this kindness then will be extended. Listen carefully. It will be extended then to the family and the descendants and the relatives of that individual. So the covenant was more than just between two friends. It encompassed their relatives, their descendants, anyone that would come in their lineage. And this vow that was made between David and Jonathan, this promise, this oath, this covenant, if you will, was sealed with blood. The word covenant in the Bible literally means an agreement made by cutting. David and Jonathan entered into this agreement by slicing their wrists are slicing their hands, and then they put their wrists together, they put their hands together, sealing the agreement that they made with their own blood. Now once a covenant is sealed with blood, it is unconditional and it's unending. It cannot be broken. David and Jonathan from this day forward would be all for one, one for all, and one in all forever. Now this covenant goes on for a long time. And then suddenly the dynamics of the relationship change. King Saul, that madman and murderer, the father of Jonathan, is killed in battle. Jonathan, his son, Prince Jonathan, is killed in battle. And with the death of King Saul, David becomes the king of Israel. With the death of Jonathan, David has lost his best friend. Now that sets the story. David is now the king of Israel. Now, I want you to open your Bibles again to 2 Samuel chapter 9, where we're going to pick up again. Now, I want you to listen carefully and pay attention to every word you read. Because at the end, you might be on shouting ground. You might want to shout a little bit. Can we shout in the Baptist church? Yeah, you can. Second Samuel chapter 9 and David said this is King David is there yet any that is left in the house of Saul is there any relatives, descendants family that are still alive in the house of Saul in the house of Jonathan who was Saul's son that I might show them kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now, you underline that, for Jonathan's sake. Show them kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, David said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, Thy servant I am. And David said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said to the king, Jonathan, your best friend. Remember Jonathan? David said, I know him well. Jonathan, he had a son. And his son was lame on his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he's in the house of nature. He's the son of Amiel. He's in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of nature, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. And Jonathan's son was Mephibosheth. He was the grandson of Saul, and he was brought to David. And Mephibosheth fell on his face and did reverence, David. And David said to Mephibosheth, Behold thy servant. And David said to him, Fear not, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. Pay attention to that. I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake. And I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, what is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon me such a dead dog as I am? It's interesting. Mephibosheth calls himself a dead dog. That's, that's his self-esteem. And he goes on to say, Then the king, verse 9, called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to his house. We'll stop there. It was customary in that day that whenever you became the king, you disposed of any and all potential rivals to your throne. That was customary. It was expected. So when David became the king of Israel, Everybody expected him to, according to custom, to not only take over the kingdom from Saul, who is now dead, to not only take over the kingdom from Jonathan, who is now dead, but to eliminate all of their family, all of their descendants, all of their lineage, wipe them out, so nobody can claim the throne but David. Now Jonathan had a son. The son's name was Mephibosheth. And he was a potential rival on paper to David's kingdom. So when David became king, Mephibosheth, who was just a little boy, probably under six years old, he is grabbed by his caregiver, his nanny. And she flees with him. She takes him to Lodabar because she believes, according to custom, according to expectation, that David is going to kill Mephibosheth. Now, when she grabs up Mephibosheth in haste, because she believes David is going to come in any time and get that little boy and kill him. When she grabs him up in haste and she begins her flight to Lodabar with him on foot, she trips and she falls. A grown woman carrying a little boy trips and falls and he hits the ground hard and she falls on him. The result? is Mephibosheth breaks both of his legs. Not just a break, the bones are shattered, like you would shatter a piece of glass. There is not a doctor that can help him. There's not an orthopedic surgeon who can do that kind of surgery. There is no hospital. His legs will never heal. Never. And for the rest of his life, this little boy who will become a teenager, who will become a man, will never walk again. His legs are just mangled masses of tissue. Crooked, deformed. He can never walk. Everywhere Mephibosheth goes from this day forward, he will drag himself on the dirt, on the ground, on the sewage, through the mud, through the filth, through the garbage that is before him. Can you imagine being a little boy with those kind of legs? A teenager with those kind of legs. A grown man with those kind of legs. Mephibosheth just lies on the ground and he drags his legs, May I say to you, he's living a hard life in Lodabar. He's hiding from David, and he just drags himself on the ground. He's deformed, his twisted legs, they just lie there, they're of no use. He's destitute. How can you work if you can't walk? So he's destitute, he's forced to become a beggar and hold his little cup out and pray that somebody will drop a coin in it, that he might get a piece of bread before the day is over. He's not only deformed and destitute, but he's dethroned. You see, Mephibosheth doesn't really know that he is the son of a prince. who was, And he doesn't know that he's the grandson of a king. He doesn't know that. When he talked to David, he said, all I am is a dead dog. Can you imagine looking yourself in the mirror and having that kind of self-image? I'm just a dead dog. I'm a mongrel. I'm not worth nothing. He's deformed. He's destitute. He's been dethroned. He doesn't know. He's royalty. He's been deceived. He's been told all of his life that you've got to hide here in Lodabar. If David ever finds out where you're at, David will kill you. And you might just as well say he's dead. You know, you can be dead and still be alive. He has no life, he has no future, he has no dreams. He's just living a miserable miserable existence as a dog. And he lives that kind of life as a young boy, as a teenager, as a young man. David hears about Meshavishah. He hears that Jonathan had a son. He hears that Jonathan's son from Ziba lives in Lodabar. So David sends the royal marines. Out of the palace to Lodabar. His instructions, bring back Mephibosheth. Bring him to me. Find him. Bring him to me. And I can imagine in my mind, David's guards, his marines, if I can call them that, they go door to door in Lodabar looking for Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth probably has heard somehow that they're coming and he's probably hiding And they go house to house, door to door, place to place. And finally, they find Mephibosheth. You can't go very far when you can't walk or run. And they grab him. And I really believe, he believes, they're going to kill him. They grab him up. They put him on a stretcher. And they carry him back to the palace. Mephibosheth now is brought before King David. Mephibosheth is thinking, the king is going to humiliate me. He's going to curse me. He's going to kick me. And then he's going to kill me. That's what Mephibosheth's expecting. He's he's been taught that's what's going to happen. That was customary. That was to be expected. What he finds is something totally different. David surprises him. A man after God's own. David remembers the covenant that he made with Jonathan. He remembers the covenant that was sealed with their blood. He remembers the covenant not only included each other, but included their what? Their family. Their descendants their lineage, their offspring. Even if they're not here, the covenant honors them too. So David says to Mephibosheth, I'm going to give you back all of the land of your grandfather and father. It's my land. I'm giving it back to you. Wow. Hundreds of Of acres of land. It's coming back to you. It's yours. And I'm going to assign some servants to take care of you. These servants will carry you wherever you want to go. You're not going to drag yourself anymore anywhere. These servants will pick you up and put you in a litter. They'll put you in a, a stretcher. And they will carry you, Mephibosheth, wherever you want to go. And whatever you want, they will buy for you. Whatever you want them to do, they will do for you. They are your servants. Just as they would obey me, they will obey you. Mephibosheth, you will eat at my table. Every time we have a meal... You will sit at this table, you will sit in this seat, and you will eat with the royal family at my table. You talk about going from a peasant to a king. Mephibosheth, I can almost picture in my mind, he's going, Am I hearing things? Is this a dream? No, I'm going to wake up and I'll be back at Lodabar. And I'm sure in the Phibosheth's mind is the question, why King David? I'm just just a dog of a human being. Why don't you just kill me? Why are you giving me all of this kindness? Why are you showing me all of this grace? Why are you showing me all this mercy? David's answer is profound. For Jonathan's sake. For Jonathan's sake, I will give you grace. For Jonathan's sake, I will show you mercy. For Jonathan's sake, I will... Be good and kind to you, Mephibosheth. For Jonathan's sake. It's not a matter whether you deserve it. For his sake, you're going to receive it. Now, Mephibosheth has a choice, doesn't he? Do you realize he could have said, King David, thank you, I'm not interested. Take me back to Lodabar. I like dragging myself through the dirt and the mud and the sewage and the garbage. I like sitting on the street corner begging for a coin so I can buy me a piece of moldy bread for my daily sustenance. I like drinking water out of the mud puddles. I like sleeping in the trash dump. I like that kind of life. I like living like a dog. I like being cussed at. I like being kicked. I like that kind of life, David. No, thank you. Send me back to Lodabar. Now, he could have said that, couldn't he? He didn't, though, did he? He said, David, I accept it. I'll take it all. And he goes from rags to riches that quickly. Now, you're a thinking group. I can hear your gears grinding. Some of you are smoking. I don't want to burn you up. So we're going to move quickly. That's a great story. I love stories like that. But what in the world does it mean to me? What's it mean to you? Wonderful story about David and Mephibosheth. But what does it mean? you and I sitting right here, right now. Remember, in the Old Testament, the seeds are planted for the great truths and the great doctrines and the great theologies that are going to come to full revelation in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 22, verse 20, Jesus Christ says something that's pretty amazing. He says, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now that phrase, New Testament, is an interesting word. Are you ready? It means covenant. This cup is the covenant that is sealed with my blood. And it is going to be shed for you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Turn there now, please. Best interpretation of the old is from the new. The Apostle Paul, very familiar with all of this, says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Be you kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you as God, for whose sake? Christ's sake, has forgiven you. The covenant that was made between David and Jonathan is a picture, ladies and gentlemen. It really happened. It's a real story. But it is the picture of another covenant that's going to be made one day later. A covenant that would be made between God the Father and God the Son. A covenant that would be made with blood. A covenant that would be made at a cross called Calvary. A covenant where God the Father and God the Son would come together. And the blood they flowed from Calvary would seal the covenant. And the Father would bestow upon Jesus grace and mercy and kindness. And not just to Jesus, but to everybody who would be linked to him as family and relatives and lineage one day. Wow. Father and Son make a covenant. We will show grace and mercy and goodness and kindness to one another. And we will seal that covenant at a cross. The shed blood of the Son of the living God. David was a picture of the Father. Jonathan was a picture of the Son. And Mephibosheth is a picture of who? Us. You see, we're deformed too. You say, Pastor, I got good legs. I'm not talking about your physical legs. We're deformed by sin. We're broken masses of ugliness. Because we've sinned. We're destitute because of that sin. We're spiritual beggars. You say, Pastor, I got $500 in my wallet. Well, pass the collection plate again. We'll take a little bit more. (laughs) But I'm not talking about money and material things. I'm talking about spiritual things. Because we're just a mass of ugliness with sin, we are spiritual beggars begging. Just begging. Grace and mercy. We've been dethroned by sin. We'd have no clue who we are. We have no clue that we are creations of God with plan and purpose. We have no idea that we can become sons of God with plan and with purpose. All we are in our eyes. Dogs existing to die. No plan, no purpose. We've been deceived, deformed by sin, destitute by sin, dethroned by sin. We've been deceived by sin. We somehow believe that God doesn't care. We've listened to the lies of the devil who's told us that God is unloving, God is unkind, God is uncaring. All God wants to do is slap us across the head and send us to hell. And many people have a picture of God as being that. And we're dead in sin. We have no life, we have no future, we have no dreams. This is it. And then hell. We're Mephibosheths, every single one of us, living in Lodabar as paupers, awaiting to die. And yet Jesus shed his blood for our sins. He established the covenant with God the Father so that for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus, the Father can forgive us And he can extend his grace and his mercy and his goodness and his kindness to us from this day forward. You say, I'm not worthy. It doesn't matter if you're worthy. Jesus is worthy. And for the sake of Jesus, the Father gives us everything that he promised the Son. What God the Father promised God the Son is unconditional and unending. It can never change. Now isn't that a story to shout about? We get the grace, we get the mercy, we get the goodness, we get the kindness because Jesus shed his blood and the Father honors the covenant he made with the Son. We go from rags to riches. From Lodabar to Jerusalem. From the streets and the slums to the palace. From eating garbage to eating at the king's table. From being a dog to being a son of the living God. Wow. That sounds like a a children's story, doesn't it? But it's true. For Jesus' sake, the Father sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seeks us, finds us, calls us, enlightens us to who Jesus is. For Jesus' sake, the Father forgives us. He adopts us. He blesses us. For Jesus' sake. Now, there is one little catch to the story, and it's over. Just like Mephibosheth could have said, (coughs) King David, (coughs) I want to go back to Lodabar, Your Highness. I, I like being a dog. I like eating garbage. I like sleeping on the mud. I like crawling through the sewage. I like people cussing at me and kicking at me. I like just existing to die and then go to the trash dump and be buried. I like that kind of life, Your Highness. No, thank you. I don't want your grace. I don't want your mercy. I don't want your goodness. I don't want your kindness. Just let me go back to Lodabar. If somebody, if if that's the way Mephibosheth would have answered the king, every one of us would have said, He's a capital. F Fool. Not just a little F fool, he's a Capital F fool. Let me tell you something right now. The Father is offering you and I everything that He offered Jesus grace, mercy, goodness, kindness, forgiveness, a chance to live in the palace a chance to have a satisfied, sufficient life. But we've got to say what? And if you don't say yes, it won't happen. And you'll go back to Lodabar and you'll die and go to hell. It would take a fool with a capital F to say no to that kind of offer. And yet, do you know that most people do? The truth of the matter is, most people take the offer of the Father that He gives for the sake of Jesus and rejects it. So the question I leave with you tonight, if you accepted it, you're at the foot of the King Would you like it? Would you accept it? And change your life forever now and forever later? And if you have accepted it, why don't you live up to your privilege? Why do you keep going back to Lodabar? You don't have to go back there no more. You've been changed by the power of God. Live like royalty now, not like a bone. Heads are bowed.